I played baseball when I was a kid, and I was really, really good. If I would have stayed at it, I would have been in the major leagues. Now, anybody, uh, Jets fans? Too embarrassed to admit it. Thank you. Any Bombers fans? Yeah, okay. Jays fans? You know what I find about sports? What the problem is? That everybody loses. You notice that? Everybody loses. In the end, one team actually wins, but everybody loses. I hate losing. I hate losing. I love these games when it's you know, it's a nail-biter, you don't know what's going to happen, you come from behind and win. I love those. So I figured out how I love watching sports. The Jets are playing, pardon me, the Jays are playing today at 12.30 again. What I like to do when we get home is find out whether or not they won. And if they won, especially if it's a close game, I, then I'll watch it. And it's a nail-biter, you know, they're behind, what's going to happen? I love it, love it, because I know we're going to win. I don't like that nail-biter and then losing. I mean, just, that's no fun. Give me a nail-biter and I win. Yes! This one I like. And God's kind of showed me, Dave, this is my kingdom in you. It can be tough. It can be difficult. There can be opposition and pushback. But we're going to win. No matter what happens, we win. I love it. So, I brought some soccer balls with me here. Footballs are called in most of the world. And these footballs are made in, in Rwanda. Did you know that we know a, a woman in Rwanda who owns a, soling, a clothing factory? We toured it with her. They make amazing clothes. And we noticed there's, she didn't have her name in the tag. I said, why isn't your name on the tag? She says, nobody buy it. What do you mean? It's from Rwanda junk. Oh. I don't like how that sounds. Do you? I investigated some things. You know, when I was a kid, stuff from J Japan would break right away, right? It was junk. Japanese junk. But it isn't anymore, is it? Do you know what changed in Japan? A couple of Christian businessmen said, do you know something? This is not good. This reputation in the country is not good. So we're going to, a few of us are going to make a deal. We're going to under-promise and over-deliver. And we formed a pact, the businessmen formed a pact, Christian businessmen, that nothing that had the name Japan on it would be allowed to be junk and sold into the community. That is why today you spend more for a Japanese-made product than anything else. Because a few people heard from the Lord said, this is not good. So in Rwanda, my friend has a sewing clothing factory, said, this is not good. Well, did you know we got our friend John Paul, and, and he's our disciple. We've discipled him now for many, many years. And everything that he does is about discipleship. And so he says, give me a ball, and I'll give you a soul. For every ball you give me, I'll give you a soul. And the kids in Rwanda, they love soccer balls. They just can't afford them. And when you can get them there, every soccer ball is handmade. Most of them 
are made in the Asian community with child slave labor. Now there's something I'd like to stop, right? All these things that bug us, that, that drive us crazy, they make me go nuts. Got to stop that. Well, can't, but yet we can. And so I says to John Paul, I says, you know something? Uh, I can see that we need soccer balls. And he says, yep. I says, did you know scripture tells us that God has given us everything we need? He says, yeah, but we need soccer balls. As I know, God has given us everything we need. So in the remote areas in Rwanda, many places, the people have, you know, people can't buy, pay for school fees or nothing, etc. We keep praying, and the Holy Spirit showed us how to honor these people and bless these people. Uh, and so to make a long story longer, we, he impressed upon us that we need to make soccer balls in Rwanda. And he says, these people that live in remote areas in the villages, leave them there. You see, in God's kingdom, you don't drag them off of their, out of their community and put them in some sweatshop. Leave them there. If you're going to hand-stitch a soccer ball, who cares where you are? Am I right? You can hand-stitch it anywhere. For so many years, people say, Dave, not possible, can't be done, you're crazy, impossible, can't be done. I says, the answer is there. We found a guy in Rwanda that made soccer balls. How many did you make last year? I says, he says, seven. I says, seven? Why only seven? He says, nobody asked for any more. I says, we need a little more than 10,000 every year. He just laughed. That's okay. So now in a remote area in Rwanda, the women are stitching soccer balls. And I said to John Paul, the first ones they make, I want them to write their name on the ball because I want them to take ownership of what they do. And you see these balls, each one has a different name on it because in the remote village in Rwanda, these people put their name on it. And I says, the other thing I want on it is made in Rwanda, Kagamba, that remote village. And this whole thing came through, the Holy Spirit spoke to some people here in Canada. The whole thing came through, through us. As I don't want my name on it anywhere. Nowhere. But I want Rwanda on it. I want Kagamba on it. And I want each person to put their name on the ball. Jean Paul says, well, you don't put your name on the ball, you're going to sell. I says, these are the ones that are training the people. I want them to take a pride in what they do. And on each ball it says, football... Faith, future. Football, faith, future. Future's education, faith you know. Now in Rwanda, Lord willing, this year we'll make just over 10,000 balls. Lord willing, next year it'll be over 100,000. Nobody can believe that this ball comes from Rwanda. Impossible to believe. Nothing good can come from there. Kagamba? Nah. And when I show this ball to somebody in Canada from Rwanda, they ask me a question that you don't ask. Does it hold air? They assume it's garbage. Can any good come from there? And the pride that comes when the kids are on the pitch playing, 
with a ball their mom made. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. And the whole community rises up. And the whole country rises up. Things have to change. Today we're talking about prayer. You have a situation that bugs you, that drives you nuts. You say, why doesn't somebody do something about it? You know, I often say to Lynn, it's like the weather, you know. Everybody complains about it, but nobody, nobody ever does anything. Right? Look at this weekend. If you're out camping, woohoo. But somebody did something about the weather. Elijah, look at that. He prayed for three years it didn't rain, and he prayed and it rained. Let's stop complaining and start praying and just see what happens. When God created us, he formed man, hands stitched together, and then breathed his life into us. This is who we are designed to be. Exactly this. And throughout the Old Testament, you see people who lived this way. But most of the other people live that way. Some live this way. And they say to this one, because most of them are like this, you're different. Something about you is different. What is it? I don't know. Same color. Same shape. Hand stitched. Yeah, but you're different. Yeah. What's different? Another one comes along. What's the difference? Next Sunday is a special Sunday. What is next Sunday? Hmm? What's that? Pentecost Sunday. Most of my life I didn't know that. Most of my life I tried to live the Christian life. And no matter what I did, I was told you need to do it more. Do it better. Pentecost. What bugs you? What drives you nuts? How hard are you trying? Pentecost. This is how we've been made to live. So Jesus came in the middle of chaos. Government was in control of everything, told people what to do. For 30 years, Jesus didn't say anything. 30 years. He came across a scene where people were being abused, and he'd say, Father, Father, I'm going to stop this right now. The Father says, no, not yet. Somebody was sick and dying, and he'd say, Father, can I heal him? No, not yet. No. Wherever Jesus was, it was a good, it was a good deal. When he bought lumber, he paid the fair price. When he made furniture, it lasted. 
He didn't rip anybody off. This is God's kingdom. We don't rip people off. We treat people with respect and dignity and value them. And then after 30 years, one morning, he wakes up and the father says, today. Today. And he comes out of the waters of baptism. And then when you know, want to know what he says, and he preaches in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he announces how things are going to be. It upset everybody. That's why they killed him. Envy. So in the middle of all this, here's Jesus now. He's been outed. He's been outed as God's son. And as God's son, things change in his in his world. And so they come to him in, in, in Luke chapter 11. Uh, they, they come to him. It happened while Jesus was praying in a certain place. And in Luke 11, the story comes right after Luke 10, 38 to 42, which was Mary and Martha. Give me some water, please. A glass of water. Thank you. Mary and Martha. Now remember Mary and Martha? Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha's busy doing all the work. And Martha's upset, you need to be doing this. And Jesus says, Mary has chosen the better thing. And most of the time in my life when I've heard that sermon taught on that subject, they says, yes, but remember, we still got to do the stuff. Jesus says, Mary has chosen the better thing. And I was taught, yes, but we still got to remember to do the stuff. And Jesus is saying, Sit at my feet. Do only what the Father tells you to do. That's what Jesus did. So right after that, in Luke, we have this instruction. It happened in chapter 11. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. See, Jesus is just seen as a guy. He's a guy, and John is a guy. John has disciples, and Jesus has disciples. And his disciples are all giddy, excited, because Jesus is doing amazing things. And there's something about the praying thing. They know there's something different about Jesus. And so they say, how do we do this? Jesus, teach us to pray, so that when we pray, it can be like that, exactly like how you are. Teach us how to do that, what to do and how to do it, because we want to be that. Thank you. Good man. You can do whatever you want. Thank you. So they come to him and says, teach us to pray because they're convinced there's something, some magical way that he's praying. Something mystical magical. Now, you ever have that happen? That you pray for somebody or something and something crazy happens, like somebody gets healed miraculously. And then people come along, okay, how did you pray exactly? Huh? What were the words you used? Uh, did you have anointing oil? What kind of oil did you have? I remember working in a service station and on a Saturday morning one of our co-workers was saying that he had a heart condition and he said he's walking dead man. Most of us were Christians and we all says, well, we should pray for healing. Then we're all going to go home. And I says, we're right here. Why don't we pray for healing? 
They looked at each other and, well, okay, why not? Anybody have any oil? Scripture says anoint with oil. We're at a service station. I went down, got some 10W30. <laughs> we anointed my brother with oil and we prayed for healing. And he went to the surgeon that week and he said, nothing wrong with you. Your heart is perfectly fine. See, the secret is, what brand of 10W30 was that? <laughs> How are we living? And he said to them, so Jesus teaches them, when you pray, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. You know when God's kingdom comes, you know what happens? That dog that ran away, he comes back home. It's like playing a country song backwards, you know? All those bad things get undone. God's kingdom. God's kingdom. It's people that live in remote areas that are nobody's and nothing, all of a sudden take pride in who they are. Because we cherish them and value them as people. Hallowed be you in your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. Forgive us where we've come up short. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Everybody who's not paid us exactly what they owe, we forgive them. It's okay. Businessman shared a testimony with me just a few weeks ago. Local guy. He sold somebody a piece of property and they were paying for the property and been a few years now and him and his wife prayed and the Holy Spirit says, I want you to bless this woman. So they called the woman in, and he says, you know, it's been now five years. We've been carrying this mortgage. You've got another 10 to go. Uh, yeah, and he says, that's good, and they're trying to make payments. And he says, here. They gave her the note and said, paid in full. Why? Because the Lord told us to. That's what it looks like when God's kingdom comes. And this woman sits there and weeping brings her family and they're weeping. And he says, we're not weepers, but this is crazy. Why are you doing this? Because we're children of God and he told us to bless you. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. I pray this all the time for people. That's what I pray. People, people want to say, Dave, how? let me tell you how to pray for me. I know how to pray for you. Your face, your name comes up and I, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And then when we meet, I want to hear what's happening because I'm listening for where has God's kingdom come. I hear the story of somebody gave the property. Why not? How did they pray? What was the magical thing? Ah. Then he said, Jesus is a storyteller. I love it. I love it. He says, teach us how to pray, and he tells them a story. Don't give them no technique. Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes out at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come from a journey. I didn't expect him, and I got nothing to set in front of him. And from inside, he answers, so he's still awake, from inside, he says, don't bother me, the door's already shut, and my boys and girls are in bed with me. I can't get up and give you anything. Now we read that verse and we think that's a bit weird. Hmm? Yeah. 
Well, the wonderful thing about being involved in different cultures and different peoples is we get to ask what is in that culture that looks like God's kingdom. You know, what is it there? Let's not judge. Let's not assume we got it. What is it in here that looks like God's kingdom? So in the Middle East area, what happens is that there's grandpa. And grandpa's in the house. And about age five, the kids get assigned to grandpa. Boys and girls. And when the day is done, grandpa invites the boys and girls into bed with him. Now, it's not like bed this way to sleep. But he invites them into bed. So they're all sitting in bed together. And grandpa begins to teach them about life and the world, about living a good life, being good people. That's what grandpa does, teaches the kids. So here's grandpa, and he says, I can't come. I'm already in bed with the kids teaching them. Don't interrupt me. Isn't that a beautiful twist of things? I tell you, even though he will not get up and give anything because he has a friend, but because you persist, he will give you what you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, you seeks, finds, and he who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers has a son who asks for a fish, won't give him a snake, will he? Or an egg, he won't give him a scorpion, will he? And if you who are evil know how to give good gifts... What is this business of asking, knocking, seeking, knocking? What is that? Is this knocking? Is that knocking? We call that knocking. Yeah, but let's understand. What about asking? What's that then? Or seeking? So here we have these three words meaning a little different things. You have a said situation that is dire. You're upset, you don't know what to do. It's just driving you nuts. Whatever situation it is. It can be the the mamas in the mountains of Rwanda who come pleading, Dave, help us, help us, help us. John Paul, who's there trying to train the kids, and he says, Dave, you got to help me. You got to help me with something. I said, what do you need? He said, we need, I said, what material are you using to disciple the children? He said, well, that's the problem. You need to write the material. We need the missionaries to write. That's your job as a missionary. Don't you know you have a job? It's to give us the money and the material to do it, and preferably to come and do it. I says to him, well, okay, let me help you with that. Let me help you with that situation of material for the kids. So John Paul comes, and I I put my arm around him, and I say, Father, John Paul knows these kids and this language and this culture. Teach him how to teach these kids. Amen. Next week, I said, how's it going? What kind of material have we got? Now I'm asking him. He says, that's your idea of help? I say, yeah, I got a job to do. My job is to pray and to encourage. So then he comes and he says, Dave, I got to explain Father, Son, Holy Spirit to kids. Can you help me with that? It's so complicated. Oh, I'd love to help you with that. I put my arm around his shoulder. I said, Father, John Paul needs to explain Father, Son, Holy Spirit to kids. He's got your spirit in him. Will you help him explain it? Amen. He says, that's your idea of help? I said, yeah. Next week, he said, how's it going? There's John Paul. He says, you see this ball? There's leather on the outside. 
and each piece is hand-stitched with thread. Here's a spool of thread. Here's a pile of leather. It's hand-stitched. We put that all together, and then we pump it up with air that's everywhere. And we've got Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'd have never thought of that. Pastors are saying, can we use this to explain, to teach? Sure. I have a job to do with, in Rwanda, with John Paul, with other people in discipleship. You see, Jesus, when he made disciples, he called them to be with him, and he said, go and make disciples. What did he specifically say? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. What he's saying is you pray and ask the Lord what to do, and then do that. That's what I want you to teach them. So that I get the privilege of doing that. So then guess what? We go to Kenya, and in Kenya I see, they, they say, this is the wonderful, successful place for ambassadors football. Oh, this is the jewel. Yep, they got 18 staff members. Most of them are paid by the local church. Brilliant. And every Saturday, they disciple 350 kids. And this is the, the jewel success. And I say to them, I don't think so. 350 kids? No. Nah. I said, you're busy building your own empire because God's kingdom has got a lot more than 350 kids in it. Are we going to build God's kingdom or my empire? So we go back to Rwanda, John Paul and I, where we ask the Holy Spirit what we should do and then just do what he tells us to do. And so now every Saturday out on the soccer field, we're discipling kids. We have two staff members. And every Saturday, we disciple just over 6,000 kids. And every denomination in Rwanda and every church says, can you come here and, and help us to teach us how to disciple the kids? Everyone! Even the Catholics! Everyone! See, there's a move of the Spirit happening in different places, and I've seen it. I want it here. We need to reconcile here. We have a lot of different churches. What do we do together? Here. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Here. So we got this pastor in Liberia. He's a big guy, got big denomination in Liberia. And he goes to Rwanda to see what's going on. And John Paul gives him a ball to take home. And he goes back to Liberia and he walks up to his house and turns around and he's got 20 kids following him. And he says, what are you kids doing? What do you want? And he says, well, you've got a ball there. What's your plan? Because they don't have a ball. He says, you come to the field on Saturday and I'll show you. He starts discipling the kids. Then Liberia says, we want this to be national. Can you work with us? Masters football. Can I'm, on the, I'm on the board of the Masters football, so I kind of get these stories. Can you work with us? He says, yes, but we won't work with just one denomination. We want you all to come. So just last week, four of the largest denominations in Liberia signed an MOU with us to disciple the kids in Liberia, the whole nation. And the spirit is moving.
Kenya, where we had 300 kids, 350 kids. The church there now says, wait, this, this has got to change. So the church says, we want, we want this to change. And the, the bishop of the church that's got over 4,500 chaplains says, we want this in every chapel, everywhere, discipling the kids. The secret, somebody's got to pray. Somebody's got to pray. Luke 18 now he is telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and to not to lose heart. Do you ever notice that sometimes you get frustrated and upset? I do too. My wife gives me a word from the Lord when that happens. She says, Dave, go for a walk. Because I walk and pray. And so sometimes I go for a few hours. He says, ooh, pretty serious stuff, yeah. We had some meetings in Rwanda. John Paul was going to be at these meetings, some big things happening. And I, for some reason, the whole week, I'm walking and praying for hours, and I just can't figure it out. And the Lord says, you don't have to figure it out. You just have to do it. You just walk and pray. Then I found out that John Paul couldn't be at the meetings because he had typhoid fever. I didn't know. The Lord says, I didn't want him at the meetings because he would have said things I didn't want him to say, so I had to make sure he wasn't there. Hallelujah. He got okay out of typhoid and learned something. God can make us be quiet. Pray and never lose heart. Jesus says, in a city there's a judge who didn't fear God and didn't respect people. There's a widow there who was hard done by and he was not willing to help her. And she was pestering him, saying, look, I'm being bugged over here. And he says, okay, if I don't help her, she's just going to drive me nuts. Little paraphrase there. He says, fine, he says, okay, I'm going to bring justice to her. And Jesus is telling the story, he says, this unjust, evil man helped this widow. God the Father loves you. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves. They were the righteous ones. So here you got a bunch of people that consider themselves righteous, view others with contempt. Two men stood up into the temple to pray, he says. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood praying to himself, God, I thank you that I'm righteous and holy. I'm not like all those other people. Eleven, it says, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. He's talking to himself. Oh God, I thank you that I'm, I'm righteous and I'm holy. I'm the good guy. I tithe 10% of every profit that I make. And then off in the distance there's a guy who's praying as well. A tax collector. Hated in the community. Not even willing to lift his eyes to heaven. Beating his breast, he says, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus says, that one. That one is mine. Doesn't, I don't care what we've done, wrong mistakes we've made. We come to the Lord in truth and in honesty. What is different from this ball to this ball? 
What's the difference? Thank you. Spirit-filled, not spirit-filled. You kick this ball about for a while and it's going to lose air. Kind of how life is, isn't it? There's the answer. We pray. We worship. We pray. And then we live to fight another day. We have been made to live like this by design. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. If you're living like this, what is the magical way you have to pray to get here? There is no magical way. Just be honest. I love when Jesus says to somebody, what do you want from me? He says, I want to be healed. He says, do you have faith? And he says, I... I want to have, no, I don't really have faith. Yes, but I want to have, ah. So what he's saying to Jesus is, the truth is I don't have faith, but I don't want to not have faith. And Jesus says, all right, that kind of faith will move mountains. What is that faith? That faith is the truth. That's the faith, honesty. Father, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to proceed. So I'll pray. Knock, ask, seek, ask. Father, will you come and move? Father, will you help in this situation? This situation is dire. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Will you help us? Will you move? Nothing happens. Father, where are you? Why aren't you moving? You worship. You pray. Then you start to try and find a way in. Is there a way? Is there something I can do? Somebody got to talk to? You're seeking now. There's got to be a way here. And nothing happens. And nothing happens. And then Father says, will you knock? Let me tell you, knock. Knock is this. Now I call three or four of you together. We get this great big tree stump about this big. And we put straps around it and we count. One, two, three. Boom! We bust down the door. Knock. What does knock look like? We pray. We fast to pray. We pray in tongues. Kurabha. Lord Jesus, you have to do something. Oh, praying in tongues. Oh, Dave, 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 nobody's interpreting. What are you doing? I said, don't worry about it. I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to my father. And it's humbling to pray in tongues. You look like an idiot. What kind of fool are you? I'm that fool that's going to cry out to Jesus because unless Jesus comes and does something, we're all going to sink. This is no sports match. We can't lose. I tell you, we curl up our toes. We pinch the seat cushion. 
But one thing is sure, we can't lose. I'm beat down again and again. You know something? I'm going to worship for a bit here. I'm going to praise God for a bit. Because we can't lose. Jesus came and bust the grave open. Neither hell nor anything assigned by hell can stop us. How do you want to live? It comes by first admitting that you're here. Just say to Jesus, that's me. But I don't want it to be me. There's nothing you can do to blow yourself up with air. Nothing. But you just come and say, this is me. I don't want it to be me. And then worship him and praise him and wait to see what happens. Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done. And in God's kingdom, this is God's kingdom. This is God's will. And it doesn't really matter what color you are. It doesn't. Because it's about what's inside. Father, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that is Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray for this community. Right in the heart of Canada. Father, do you want to bring reconciliation here? Hmm? Is that your idea? Do you want to bring reconciliation with our indigenous people? Is that your idea, Lord? Hmm, I wonder. Is that your kingdom? Father, families that are fighting and feuding and squabbling, do you want to bring healing? Community that has broken people in it. Do you want to do something here, Father? Do you want to move the spirit here in the heart of this nation? Is that your idea? Lord, whatever it is you want from us, from me, I say yes. Whatever it is, I say yes. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Amen.